Um, we're uh, looking at the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, we've been looking at it for uh, a few months now. We've probably got a, about a, a month and a half left of uh, um, just really rich teaching from the Lord Jesus. And um, we're in Matthew chapter 6, uh, starting in verse 25. And uh, this is uh, the word of the Lord. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life. What you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will uh, put on, is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to a span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin, yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God, and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Let's pray together. Our Lord, uh, we thank you for such a relevant passage uh, as so many of us struggle with being anxious about our lives. Uh, and we need your teaching, we need your spirit to come and open up the scriptures to us and to take these words and apply them into our individual lives. Um, Lord, you, as this text says, you know our needs. You know what we have needs of. You know what each person sitting here is uh, anxious about in their life, this morning maybe even. We pray that your word uh, would be a comfort, would be a challenge, would be uh, light and truth to us. So give us soft, humble hearts as we uh, study your word together now. And we ask that you would send your spirit to, to guide us into all truth. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So uh, this morning we are, uh, we're talking about, I think, a big topic in our culture, Jesus' teaching on uh, anxiety. And uh, it's kind of an interesting passage because it, it's a command. You know, it's not, here's some helpful, uh, I mean, there, there are helpful bits in here about handling anxiety, but for the most part, it's a command. Do not be anxious. And so Jesus intends that in some way uh, we can obey that and not be anxious, which I think for many of us we say, well, it's not like I want to feel anxious and I have all kinds of worries and troubles going on in my mind. Uh, if I could turn it off, I would. <laughs> so, you know, is this really helpful to have a command to just say, uh, Jesus says, you should not be anxious. Um, but I think that uh, as we approach a passage like this, it's important, um, you know, you know, if we, uh, it's one thing for me as a pastor to come up and say to all of you, uh, you know, you should not be anxious. Uh, being anxious, being worrying is bad. It doesn't do you any good. And as you, you know, you hear from a pastor, you say, um, 
what that might do to you is instead of relieving your anxiety, it's that you already have all these um, things that you're troubled about, things that you're you know, not meeting the standard with, that you're falling short with, and you're like, okay, well, now I'm not supposed to be anxious on top of that. This is another burden that you're laying upon me, and I, already, I feel even more worse about it, and now it just creates more anxiety. So I think one of the things that's really important is we come to this passage, it's important to remember who is speaking to us. Who is saying this? Who is giving the command? So I want you to imagine, you know, imagine you, you work at uh, Microsoft and um, you're, you know, you're a project manager. I don't know what jobs they have at Microsoft. You're a project manager for something. And there's, you know, there's a recession in the economy and you're hearing that all these project managers and software industry are getting laid off. And you know it's right in your field. It's not doing well. And, you know, these rumors that your job is kind of on the line. And you have one of your coworkers come up and say, hey, you know, listen, don't worry about it. Everything's going to be all right. You'd say, okay, well, thank you for your concern, and I appreciate your words, but, you know, that's just wishful thinking. You don't know everything's going to be all right. <laughs> you know, what do you know? Um, but if, on the other hand, you're sitting in work one day and, you know, Bill Gates, I don't think Bill Gates has an office in Microsoft anymore. Let's say Bill Gates calls you into his office, and he says to you, listen, hey, I understand that, you know, the things are tumultuous right now, things, uh, you know, the market, you know, people are losing jobs, but I just want to let you know that uh, you don't have to worry about that because I've, I've got you covered, and uh, you don't have to worry about your job. I want you here. I care about you in this, uh, in this company. You're important. You're a value to me. You're an asset to me, and, uh, and I'm going to make sure that you have a place here. How, how does Bill Gates versus your coworker, <laughs> them telling you not to worry, how, are those different? experiences? Yeah, what you're going to be doing, you go back to work, and even though you're hearing about getting, people getting laid off, you're going to come back to your, and recite to yourself, yeah, Bill told me, Mr. Gates told me not to worry about it, Mr. Gates said my job's secure. You're going to tell yourself that over and over again, and you say, that's what I'm going to stand on. I'm, 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 going, to stick at my, I'm going to stay focused on my work and do my work because I know my job's secure. And that's exactly what we have here in this passage, um, because it's one thing for some, someone to give you kind of sagely advice, you know, to get a self-help book about how to handle your anxiety. And that's, you know, Jesus gives some kind of sagely advice in this passage. Um, but it's a completely um, different thing to realize that we're living in a kingdom. And the king, Jesus, the king, the one who all authority in heaven and earth has been given to him, you know, who Psalm 24 says, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. This king has come and said to us, you don't have, seek first my kingdom and you don't have to worry about uh, your, your needs, the things to be cared for. I'm going to care for you. I'm going to make sure my father cares for you. He promises it and you can bank on that. And what, if you hear that, you're going to stand on that. And you're going to say, I have nothing to worry about. I'm going to go back to those words. I'm going to recite those words over and over again. And, it's, uh, and so it's powerful for us to understand that the words that we're getting are the teachings of the king, the king of the universe, the king of the creation, the one through whom all things are made, the one who sustains all the food and all the resources in the world is the one who speaks to us and says, do not be anxious. And when we hear it from him, it has a different power. And so, um, you know, I, I understand that uh, uh, from many of you probably uh, struggle significantly with anxiety. Um, I, I know I've talked to many of you about uh, anxious thoughts that turning in your head. Um, and maybe, uh, I'm sure that probably many of you have sought different ways to kind of cope with and deal with anxiety. Maybe, you know, uh, 
through therapy, maybe through, uh, you know, different medications. And I, I don't want to say there's anything wrong with that. You know, those, there's an appropriate place for, for all those things, especially when anxiety is severe. But what I do want to say is that the vast majority of the anxiety we experience is a spiritual matter. It's a spiritual issue, most of the vast majority of the anxiety that we face. And in fact, uh, mo- for the most part, most of the anxiety we experience based on this passage is actually sinful. Um, you know, when we're anxious, what we're saying is that we don't trust that God's going to take care of us. And so I'm worried. I don't believe God's words that he's going to take care of us. And um, I don't say that to beat you up, to say, you know, make you feel bad. Like, wow, your anxiety is sinful and you, you should really feel bad about it. Actually, there's hope in that. Because if we turn out that, that our, our anxiety and our worrying is a sin, the Bible gives us ways to deal with sin. <laughs> There's an answer for sin. You know, we repent. We trust in the Lord Jesus. He sends his spirit and he promises to change us. And so um, sin can be uh, dealt with. But, the, you know, the other complexities of it, you know, the physiology and the, the psychology of it is far more complex. So I think there's a tremendous amount of hope for us to look at this and say, the king has commanded me to not be anxious, to not worry. And so uh, to lead us into repentance, into faith, and to trust him. And so uh, what I want to do this morning is we look at Jesus' really profound insights into anxiety. I want to answer two questions for us. First of all, where does anxiety come from? What is the source of anxiety? And second, how should we repent of our anxiety? If, if, if anxiety is, is sinful in many ways, how do we repent of it? And, um, you know, let me just say it at the... Uh, at the beginning here as we answer these questions, I, I imagine some of you will say as, as you hear these things, you know, you don't really understand the complexity of the anxieties that I deal with, the thoughts that are going through my head and uh, how much they, uh, they impact me and the source of them. And you may feel like some of these answers are, maybe they seem superficial or trite and uh, don't deal with the t- complexity of a fallen world. And let me just say, let this sermon be a conversation starter. Okay? If that's true, and there, I, I know there's things that need to be worked out in each of your lives, let this be a conversation starter. Maybe even after church, you're talking with someone that, you, that you've gotten to know at church. Extend this sermon into a dialogue, or maybe get coffee with someone and say, hey, I have really profound anxiety, and I want to try to offer this to the Lord. How do I do that? Let this be a conversation starter. Don't, don't hear this uh, as, uh, as just a simplistic answer to anxiety. Okay, So two things. Where does anxiety come from, and how... Should we repent of our anxiety? And first, um, we're going to say, look at where does anxiety come from? And as I've kind of already mentioned, fundamentally, anxiety comes from not trusting God. And that's that's what Jesus says in this passage. That's why I say that. Look at verse 30 again. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, do not be anxious. So he says that it's a faith issue. It's because of their little faith that they have worries and they have anxieties. And, um, and so anxiety is tied to our faith in God. And I think, you know, one thing to kind of notice at the outset right there is Jesus says, um, uh, don't you know that God's going to take care of you, O you of little faith? So first of all, the assumption there is that God's still going to provide for them even when they have little faith. So it's not to say that if you believe, then God will provide for you. 
He's saying God's going to provide for you. Even if you have little faith, he's your father. He cares for you. If you believe, if you trust in God, it's not that you're going to get the provision. It's that you're not going to struggle with anxiety. It's going to deal with your anxiety. Does that make sense? So, um, so it's important for us, you know, because that can happen in our Christian life. We can get the idea that God is going to, if I can stir up enough faith in my heart, then my father's going to care for me, and then he's going to give me the things I need, and I really need to believe when I pray. It's not like that. Jesus says, even with little faith, your father's going to provide for you. But when we trust in God more, we, uh, it, it handles, it addresses our anxiety, and we become free from anxiety. And so um, uh, that's why I say anxiety is fundamentally uh, about not trusting God. And there's two ways that we don't trust God that causes anxiety. He says, first of all, we don't trust God for our possessions. We don't trust God for our physical needs, the possessions that we need. And, you know, you notice at the beginning of that passage I just read in, uh, in verse 20, uh, 25, he says, therefore, do not be anxious about your life. So he says, therefore, which means what he was just talking about has something to do with this passage. In the passage right before this, Jesus was saying, do not store up uh, treasures for yourself on earth, you know, where uh, moth and rust destroys and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. So he's kind of ma- he's saying, you need to make this decision. Is your life about storing up treasures on earth? Is your life about storing up treasures in heaven? And then he says again, uh, you know, no one can serve two masters. You'll either uh, love one or hate the other or be devoted to one and despise the other. No one can, you cannot serve God and money. And so he says, make your choice. Do you serve God or do you serve money? And he says, now that you've made that decision, is my life about storing up treasures in heaven? Is my life about serving God? Now, therefore, don't be anxious. If, you're, if you serve God and you're storing up treasures in, uh, in heaven, then, um, then uh, you have no reason to be anxious. And then he says, therefore, do not be anxious about your life, what you eat, what you will drink, nor about your body, what you'll put on. Is not life more than food? In the body more than clothing. Um, and what happens is, what he's saying is that if we don't trust God for our jobs, uh, for our paychecks, for our food, for our homes, we become obsessed, we become focused on uh, physical things, possessions, and it becomes the focus and devotion of our life is, is physical things. And the, the, the reality with, is with earthly things is they're all... Um, running away from us. They're all disappearing. They all fall apart. You know, I, I remember when I first went to seminary, I got an um, a iBook, you know, that's before MacBooks, you know, lap, uh, Apple laptop, and it was already kind of dated one, but I was like, oh, I finally got a Mac. And, you know, now it's, I think, I think it's maybe in our yard, you know, and has all the um, keys ripped out of it, you know, and kids have played it. It's been a toy for, uh, and, uh, you know, what was so valuable was so precious. Wow, I'm on the cutting edge of possession. I got a MacBook, and then, you know, I was so excited to get it, and now it's just like kid trash, you know, and um, that's, all possessions are like that, all possessions, and if we spend our life focusing on gathering possessions, they're constantly running away from us. They're constantly deteriorating. And so we're going to be constantly trying to hold back the deterioration or collect more. And what that will do, possessions, focusing our life on possessions, will fill our life with the burden of anxiety. And um, now, uh, I think it's important to understand that when Jesus says, uh, do not be anxious because God cares for you, God's going to provide for you, it doesn't mean that God's not going to bring trouble into our lives. Uh, God is, he will bring trials. He will bring trouble into our lives. And um, I think there's one aspect to say, you know, when Jesus says, don't be anxious, he says, you know, don't worry about what you're going to eat, what you're going to drink, and what you're going to wear, which 
are kind of minimal uh, uh, provisions, right? And, and I actually think there's something helpful to that. You know, as we struggle with anxiety, I, I remember when we were church planting and, you know, we were trying to raise money to plant this church and I, I was not a very good fundraiser and I, I didn't raise a lot of money. And we're like, oh, how's this going to go, you know? Uh, we got eight people in our church and uh, how are we going to provide, you know, how am I going to provide for the family? And I remember that was something that we would come back to and be like, all right, Jesus says we just need food, um, drink, some clothes, and you know, maybe some shelter. Maybe we'll add a shelter to, to his list. And, uh, but, you know, and if we have a church, if we have Christ, if we have, then we, are li- we can be happy. We can be happy with that. And God pr- promises us those minimal things that we need to leave, he'll give them to us. And he always has. He always pr- provides for us. Um, but we may have trials on top of that. We may have difficulties on top of that. And this is what Jesus says in John 16. I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. You may have peace in Christ. In the world, you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Where our peace is, where our life is, is somewhere where, where none of the deterioration or sin of the world can get to. Okay? So first of all, we, uh, we, we're anxious because we don't trust God for our possessions. But second, we also uh, don't trust God with our future. Possessions and future are the two places of where anxiety uh, gets a hold of us. And you can see this in these, this famous little uh, verse from the Lord Jesus in verse 34. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow. For tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. So Jesus says that an obsession with the future, with tomorrow, is what causes anxiety in our life also. Not just possessions, the the desire for more possessions, holding on to possessions, but also an obsession about the future. And um, I think that one of the things that causes anxiety in our life is that we actually think we know the future. We think we know what's coming. We are sure, I know what is down the road. And usually when we're sure of the future, they're not good things that are coming, right? We have all kinds of uh, uh, thoughts um, that are, are um, filling our mind. I know this person is not going to like me. I know I'm going to lose my job. I know uh, I'm not going to get that job. I know bad things are on the road, and I can see them for sure. And the fact is, you don't know that. You don't know the future. You're not God. And for us to think that we know the future is to put ourselves in a position where we're omniscient, that we know all things, and you don't. There are so many factors happening in the world that you could never account for, and that God can. And there's so many things that God's doing that you couldn't account for that you don't even know what they are. And for us to say, I know what is in the future, is to put myself in the position of God. And when we say that we know the future, that puts pressure on us, puts, uh, brings anxiety onto our life. And I'll tell you, why do we want to know the future? Why are we so obsessed with the future and what's coming and thinking we know for sure what's going to come? Why? It's because we want control. If you know the future, then you, then you can feel secure. I don't have to worry about anything. I know what's coming. And so we try to predict the future so that, we, so that we're not surprised by it. And we feel, you know, ready for it when it comes. And actually, I think that's behind in the Christian world, there's, there's a lot of focus on, you know, what is God's will for which job I should take or which person I should marry? And we become obsessed. Lord, please show me which path I have to take, which is your will. And the fact is the Bible doesn't say that God gives you any of that information. You just have to make a decision. But why do we want God to say, tell me what his will is? It's because I want to be in control. And if he told me what 
is in the future, then I can feel a sense of security and control. And he doesn't tell us that. He wants us to walk into the future trusting him. And, uh, of course, what happens when we are, you know, think we know the future is oftentimes we actually create it, right? You know, maybe you've heard, you know, self-fulfilling prophecy. When you say, I'm going to lose my job, I know what's going to happen, you're going to be thinking about that the whole time, and now you're probably going to lose your job because you're worrying about it because you're not focusing on your work and interacting with people and learning and growing and spending your mind on the things uh, of that day and uh, that you should be attending to that day. And that's that's kind of some of the practical bit of what Jesus is saying here is when he says, uh, don't worry about tomorrow, you have enough trouble with today. He says, attend to yourself to the work that God has put before you today. You know, when Jesus says, don't be anxious, that God, you know, what you're going to eat, what you're going to wear, it's, it's, uh, it's not saying you don't have to work, right? I mean, because the birds, even he says, look at the birds, you know, they get, God provides worms for them, and, you know, they don't, they don't uh, plant, you know, uh, uh, sow seeds and have a, a farm. You know, they just get their food day to day. And he says, but the bird's got to work kind of hard to go find it. You know, it's kind of busy around all day, and we still have to work. But he's saying we attend to the work that's before us. And that's an important, I think, transition that we make in our minds to say, what, is the, what does God have set before me today for me to give my attention to and devote myself to? This is one of the ways where we leave the future to God. So the two reasons that... Uh, the causes of anxiety that Jesus says is, is we don't trust God for our possessions and for our needs, and we don't trust God with the future. And I think um, ultimately what both of those come down to is that the reason we are anxious is because we haven't embraced our humanness. We haven't embraced our, that we're limited, that we're dependent creatures. And uh, we're, we're dependent on our Father in heaven to care for us. And therefore, we've tried to be our own God. We've tri- tried to provide for ourselves. We try to know the future. Both of things, things which God alone is, is his prerogative. And when you try to be your own God and not depend on God's fatherly care, there will be this crushing burden, this heaviness of anxiety. Because you weren't meant to do that. And it will, it, will be, it will feel like a weight. It will feel like a choke. Actually, I, I guess both the words anxious and worry come from root words of choking. A choked life. And when you try to take that onto yourself, it will choke your life. Okay? And you weren't made for that. So before we move on to the second uh, point, as we think about what causes anxiety, I want you to kind of try to think, to bring to mind, what are the top one or two things in your life where you feel the burden of anxiety even now? The racing thoughts that are constantly running through your thoughts that are troubling you. What are those things? Um, the things that you're sure you know what's going to happen in the future. That bad things are going to happen. You know, or I know what the future is. They're setting you constantly thinking about what's coming and not the work uh, set to the work that's before you today. What are those things? And as you consider them, I want to look now at Jesus' answer to this second question. How then should we repent of our anxiety? So if we looked at what are the causes of anxiety, how then should we repent of our anxiety? And, uh, you know, I'm going to list off a number of things here. And, you know, maybe you grab a couple that kind of apply to your life that help you uh, to turn to the Lord. But I think Jesus basically calls us to three habits, three habits that keep us from anxiety and turn us to actually trust in our Father and to trust in God. And um, this is what we do when our minds are, you know, and our bodies are being choked with racing thoughts and with fear and with worry and anxiety. What do we do? First thing is this. Uh, 
we need to interrogate ourselves. We need to interrogate ourselves. And what I mean by we need to ask ourselves questions. You know, this is actually kind of a pattern in the scriptures. If you read the, uh, the psalmist, you know, Psalm 42, uh, the psalmist says, Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation, my God. He has this practice of talking to himself. There's this kind of soul talk. I'm going to, you know, I'm asking myself questions. And there's two questions that, that Jesus in particular tells us we should be asking ourselves. Look at verse 26 again. Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? First question, are you not of more value than they? Second question, and which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? So basically, he tells us we need to interrogate ourselves and ask ourselves questions. The first question is, what am I worth? Is we're struggling with anxiety, we have to have this habit of saying, asking ourselves, well, what am I worth? Why am I anxious? And Jesus says, uh, are you not of more value than, you know, all these birds? And I think um, he wants us to meditate on that question, what am I worth? You know, I've told you this before. There's a little saying my dad always told me growing up, something is only worth what someone is willing to pay for it. You are only worth what someone's willing to pay for it. That God has sent his son whose own blood has been shed for you. Uh, At the cost of his life, he humbled himself um, and and bore all of your sins so that you could be freed from slavery sin and you could have eternal life. He went to all this effort, and this is the center of history, this action of what he did for you. And then you think beyond that, you think of all the care. If you're sitting here, God has been so careful in orchestrating your life to bring you so that you're a part of a body, so that you hear his words, so that you would know him and that you learn from him. And he's been angling and setting, putting people in your life and doing all these things with such care, with such orchestration. Um, how much value must you be to him? And for us to reflect on that, why am I worrying? My father cares for me. I'm of value to him. And that's the first kind of interrogation. But then he also goes on. Uh, is, so we first see that I'm his workmanship. I'm his, I'm his passion, that I'm precious to my father. But also to ask myself, what can I do? Whatever I'm being anxious about, what can I actually do about this? Um, you know, that's basically what Jesus is asking in verse 27. And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to the span of your life? Um, Jesus is saying there are so many things that are out of control in my life. I can't control them. And I'll tell you, um, one of the things um, that uh, is, is really out of my control is, is even he's saying that, that, you know, when I die is out of my control. I can't add, you know, by worrying, a day to my life. And, um, and, you know, the Christian, of course, in this kind of strange paradox as we think about death. Because uh, on the one hand, Christians would say that death is an enemy of God. God hates death, and he's going to end death, and he's going to actually throw death into hell eventually, and it's going to be gone forever. But on the other hand, the New Testament writers, Jesus and the apostles, they always talked about death as if it was like a sleep. Uh, it's like a nap. You know, when someone dies, don't worry, they're taking a nap. That's all they're doing because they're going to wake up later, and they're going to live with God forever and ever. And you should see death is, 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 is only a nap. <laughs> and I'll tell you... Um, I think that's powerful for us to see that, that God has appointed the day of my nap. I'm going to take a nap someday, and God has appointed that day, and I can't change it. And, you know, I, recently I've been kind of applying this actually with my chil- to my view of my children, too. You know, I, mean, I know for many of us we have young children and, or older children. That's a big point of anxiety for us is my children. What's going to happen to them? 
And are they going to get hurt? And uh, actually, we, we just went to St. Louis a couple weeks ago, and we had, you know, it was just Shannon and I went, so we had to farm out all our kids, uh, you know, to different people, and Shannon had planned out, okay, these kids are going to, we have three-year-old twins, and, um, and most of them we felt pretty good about, but our, our youngest, one of the twins, Henry, uh, you know, Shannon was kind of like, oh, man, I don't know about leaving him with someone. I mean, people could be very thoughtful and caring and loving, and, and I don't know what he's going to do. You know, he's the kind of, you know, he'll disappear out of our house, run out the front door, and he's crossed the street and gotten someone's car and is pretending to drive. And, you know, and I don't know where, you know, where is, what's he jumping off? What's he, uh, we don't, and especially with all our other kids, if it was silent, you know, if it was quiet in the house, that usually was a good thing. It meant they were playing nicely together somewhere. If, if Henry's silent, it means he's gone, and he's sneaking, he's mischievously tiptoed away like this. And so um, we're worried, you know, gosh, we're going to leave him with him, and, and he's going to, you know, ninja away somewhere and uh, get himself hurt. And, um, and I was telling Shannon, I was like, you know, I was kind of thinking about this stuff, and I was like, you know what? God's already appointed the day of his death. We can't do anything. And she's like, <laughs> she's like, this is not helping me. I was like, oh, we can't affect it. But then, you know, actually, we were just talking. Uh, we were just talking yesterday, and she came back and she said, you know, actually, I've been thinking about this, and I read an article about all the other countries in the world, how they treat their kids and what they let their kids do, and they said our country by far is the most most anxious about our kids. You know, in other countries, little three-year-olds are climbing trees and, you know, using sharp knives. And we're like, oh, no, let me, here's a plastic knife with a, you know, that's dull. And I don't want you to hurt yourself all the time. That's what we're doing. And actually, our kids get hurt more because we're doing that and because we're anxious about it. And so there's something for us. I, I think that we can say, God's appointed the day of my death. He's appointed the day of my kid's death. And I can't do anything about it. And, but I know he's good and I know he's sovereign and I'm going to trust him. And I'm going to leave it to his hands. And, uh, and so to ask ourselves, what can I do? And this is basically what Jesus says in Matthew 10, a similar passage. He says, and do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both body and soul in hell. And then he says this, are not two sparrows sold for a penny? And not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. Not even a little bird dies apart from God's will. He is, is sovereign over the details of this universe. You know, and, and so many of us see that. If you have little kids and your kids are running and you know, the, the corner of the table just grazes by their head and you're like, how do they never hit that corner? It's, you know, God's watching over the details. He says, God, so God is sovereign, but even the hairs of your head are numbered. Fear not, therefore, you are of more value than many sparrows. Me and my children are value to God. I'm a value to God, and yet he is sovereign. And so I trust him. So the place to start is for us to begin to interrogate ourselves. What am I worth, and what can I do? To ask myself these questions and let the scriptures inform the answers to that. But one of the things I think about anxiety, you know, self-talk is a good, helpful thing. But for many of us, anxiety, you know, self-talking, thinking inside, turning inside ourselves is actually not what we need to deal with our anxiety because we're turned over in our head all the time. And so I think the second thing that Jesus says with dealing with anxiety is really valuable. He says that we need to open our eyes. We also need to open up our eyes. And uh, we need to look outside of ourselves, look outside of our inner thoughts. And, you know, one of the things when I feel anxious, I don't know if you've experienced this, when you drive home and you're really anxious, you have all these burdens, and then you get home and you're like, I don't remember driving home. 
did I just like run through all the red lights? Because you're, you can't even see because you're so in your head and, and your mind is so taken up. I can't even remember the drive home and I may have just gone through red lights. I don't even remember it. And, uh, and it's because we're so turned in on ourselves. And Jesus says, you need to open up your eyes and look, open your eyes to two things, to the creation and to the kingdom. Okay, right? He says this first to the creation. I'll tell you, uh, um, or sorry, he says, open your eyes to the creation. And I, I think the Lord is actually quite literal in this verse, in verse 26, where he says, look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. And he says it again, verse 28, well, uh, why are you anxious about your clothing? Consider the lilies of the field and how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed uh, like one of these. But if God so clothed the grass of the field, which today is alive and, is, is, and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, of you, O you of little faith? So what Jesus says, he says, you need to go look at birds and look at fields of, you know, grains and flowers. You know, go up into a meadows, go on a hike and look and stare at stuff. I mean, I actually, I think that there's, a, that's a spiritual discipline of staring at stuff. I, I do that around Lake Patton. Sometimes I walk around and I go up to a tree and I'm looking at the moss and the bugs and, and people are running by like, what's wrong? What's up with the tree guy? <laughs> staring at the trees and, uh, and you know, real care. And I'm like, wow, God is, is um, engineering this whole thing. He's, you know, the Bible says that Jesus is holding everything together. God has made everything. And we're not living in a clock that God made and then set running and then the clock's going. No, everything is being held together intentionally and thoughtfully by him and by his servants who are everywhere. His angels are everywhere um, making nature run. And so I look at these little bugs and they're organizing birds. He actually wants us to stare at things. And I, actually, I was just in Santa Barbara uh, a few, uh, couple months ago, and, and I, you know, I went for a walk on the beach just to be with the Lord, and there were these little birds, and they're, yeah, these little skinny legs, and they're, you know, walking around like this, and I was just thinking, I was like, there's this huge ocean filled with all these other animals, they don't care about this bird, all these other people are walking around the beach, they don't even care about this bird, no one's even thinking about this bird, and yet God is thinking about this bird, he's caring for this bird, he's leading the bird to little worms and things like that. He's, there's there's a, a, a care that's being attended to. And, and so I think that one of the, the best remedies to anxiety is a sense of wonder. To look at God's creation and to experience, open our eyes and experience the wonder that God is carefully caring for all these things. And when we do that, when we see those things, it actually changes. It, it leads us to trust in him. It leads, him into, leads us into worship. But the second thing we need to have our eyes open to is not just the creation, not what God makes, not what God rules, but also to the kingdom, right? This, this is what Jesus says, verse 32, for the, the, the Gentiles seek after all these things, possessions and things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. So Jesus says, seek the kingdom. Now, what does that mean to seek the kingdom and God's righteousness? You know, uh, I, was, I heard a talk by Dallas Willard, who actually, he was a great Christian writer who died this last week, actually. And, um, but he, uh, I heard a talk where he was talking about this passage, and he said, well, you know, how do you seek other things? What does it mean to seek the kingdom? Well, how do you seek your keys? When your keys are lost, what do you do? You go look for, it, look for them everywhere. Where are they? 
And, and that's what we do with the kingdom, is you go and you look for it everywhere. Where is the kingdom? Where is God's power? Where is God's uh, reign? Um, where is God's presence? Where is God's activity in my life, in, in the world around me or in other people's lives, to have our eyes open to it and see, look, say, look, God's working there. God's working there. I had this conversation with a person. God provided for this person here. He, he answered a prayer there. And as we open our eyes to see the kingdom and we see God's power every, everywhere, um, that shows us that God's alive and he's at work and he can be trusted and he can be cared for. And um, actually, I, I put a, a quote for you on page three of your bulletin uh, from G.K. Chesterton. This is one of my favorite books in the world after the Bible. Maybe this is my favorite book in the world, G.K. Chesterton's Orthodoxy. And in this section, he's talking about one of the differences between uh, Christianity and Buddhism. And he says one of the main ways you can see the difference is by looking at, at Buddhist art compared to Christian art. This is what he says. Even when I thought with most other well-informed, though unscholarly people, that Buddhism and Christianity were alike, there was one thing about them that always perplexed me. I mean the startling difference in their uh, type of religious art. No two ideals could be more opposite than a Christian saint in a Gothic cathedral and a Buddhist saint in a Chinese temple. The opposition exists at every point, but perhaps the shortest statement of it is that the Buddhist saint always has his eyes shut, while the Christian saint always has them very wide open. The Buddhist saint has a sleek and harmonious body, but his eyes are heavy and sealed with sleep. The medieval saint's body is wasted to its crazy bones, but his eyes are frightfully alive. The Buddhist is looking with a peculiar intentness inwards. The Christian is staring with a frantic intentness outwards. It's a great description of the Christian life. Our eyes are open, expectant for the kingdom, looking for it everywhere, looking for the coming kingdom. And, uh, and that's what God wants us to do, is he wants us to look outside of ourselves, open up our eyes, and see what's happening in his creation and his kingdom. And let me just say, by the way, as we counsel one another, as you talk, to, if someone's sharing with you about anxiety, this is one of the best things that you can do for them, is help them see where is God's presence, where is God's power, where did God answer a prayer, and to confirm that, look, God is alive, he's at work. You're not just um, drudging through life on your own strength. God is doing all kinds of things around you, and you just, and to see them, and so that, that would lead us to trust him, okay? But both both of these two habits, interrogating ourselves and opening our eyes, are kind of, they feel a little bit like techniques for dealing with anxiety. And uh, let me just say, that's why I think that the, the most important thing is probably this third habit that Jesus gives us. It's really at the core of our heart is simply to trust in our Father. The way we deal with anxiety is by trusting in a Father who loves us, our Father in heaven who wants to care for us. And Jesus highlights a couple of qualities of our Father that he wants us to look at, to consider these qualities of, of, of how he is that give us reason to trust him. And the first quality is that our Father knows us. Our Father knows, right? You see that verse 32? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need, all, uh, you need them all. Your Father knows you. He knows what your weaknesses are. He knows what you have trouble with. He knows uh, the things that you're, you're anxious about, you're worrying about, the things that you need, that you need to care for. You say, gosh, this is, my life's going to fall apart if this thing doesn't happen. He knows. He knows what's going to happen. He cares intently about your life. And, um, and he loves to help you. 
And so you should trust him because he knows you. He knows you better than anyone else, right? He knows what's, you know, so, much, so many of us, when we're feeling anxious, we wish someone knew about what was really happening in our life. God does. And uh, let me just say that um, I think an important part, many of us have certain anxieties. They're like, I don't know how to shake this. This is just haunting me all the time. And one question I ha- you should have is, have you ever just told it to God? Say, God, I'm feeling anxious about this. Have you shared it with your father? Not because he doesn't know, but he just wants to assure your heart that he knows. And there's a great uh, verse, 1 Peter 5. Peter says this, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. He knows you and cares for you. Cast, give them to him. Give him your anxieties. Tell them to him. Have you told them to him? Just simply, Father, I'm I'm anxious about my children. I'm anxious about my job. Okay? The second thing, though, the reason we should trust our Father is because our Father makes promises. Our Father is a promising God. And you see this, of course, in this, this, probably the most, I think the most important verse in this passage, verse 33. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. This is a promise statement. God is, Jesus is committing to you that you will be cared for. If you seek first his kingdom, all of your needs, he will make sure, your father will make sure that they are cared for. This is Bill Gates saying, don't worry about it, okay? I got you covered. Stay focused on your work and I got you covered. And um, I think that it's important that as we pray, this is an important verse to just have as we pray. I mean, one of the things that we do as we pray is tell God his promises, and many times, actually for some of you, there are things that some of you have asked me to, to pray for you, significant things that are happening in your life. Consistently, I've brought this text to the Lord and said, Lord, you have said that if we seek your, first your kingdom, all these things will be added for us. This brother or sister of mine is, is devoting themselves to the people of God. They're serving in these ways. Make good on this promise. And I'll tell you again and again and again, God has come through in miraculous ways. I've seen it. Miraculous ways. And so he wants us to take these promises and put them before him and say, this is your promise. And I'm going I'm to stand on it. I'm going to rest on it. And so um, this is our great hope, is that there is peace with God. So, uh, as Paul says, there is peace that surpasses all understanding. Um, so we should not be anxious. And to remember, uh, and the answer to anxiety is not a technique. It's not a list of things to go do. It is a person, a person that we can rest our hearts in and trust in who is our Father. So how can we repent of our anxiety, interrogate ourselves, open our eyes, and trust in our Father who loves us? Let's pray together. Our Lord, teach our hearts to trust in your fatherly care, and I pray that you would open our eyes to see your sovereignty over all things, your care for your creatures, your care over us. And help us to stand on these promises that we might give ourselves to your work in the world and seek, seek first your kingdom. Would that your kingdom and your righteousness be our supreme joy, our supreme passion? And would we see your faithfulness to these promises? And would we remember the ways you've been faithful to us already? We love you. Uh, I pray for those who are struggling with anxiety here. I pray that this could be a conversation starter for them. I pray that in our church we could talk about our anxieties and not um, just shove them away, um, but that we would encourage one another. 
And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.